if you woke up at 4.30 in the morning or if, like me, you waited until they played it again at 11. (laughs) You saw last month on the royal wedding, the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle in the UK, the Kingdom Choir, a group of 20 musicians, all British, all of African descent, performed a version of Stand By Me that was very true to their group's mission statement, which I looked up. They blend choral discipline with the raw gospel spiritual sound that's drawn from inner experience. That perfectly sums up how beautiful that rendition was. And I am grateful for that song being redeemed for me because now I will think of this moment every time I hear our band play it instead of what I used to think of, which was a lot of middle school dance memories. (laughs) I did a lot of this to that song, right? Maybe some of you did this. I, I was doing this. I don't need to go back there every week, no. But the song, as much as it was redeemed by their performance, it was also redeemed by what it led into in that beautiful wedding. The wedding homily delivered by the Episcopal um, Reverend Michael Curry, where he talked about how love, yes, is romantic, right? It's between two people, that darling, darling kind of love. And also that Intense love that happens in the bond between two people is really just a sign of the power of love that reaches beyond the romantic. It's one expression of the power of a kind of love that Jesus talked about in the Gospels in the New Testament. The kind of love that can defeat armies and empires. The kind of love that changes hearts, that changes societies, that is as an article of faith, the most powerful force in the universe. Having Reverend Curry point to that truth about love beyond the romantic helped me see this song as pointing to something beyond the whole darling, darling, won't you dance with me in seventh grade kind of experience. To the value and the gift of knowing that there is someone who will stand by us, someone who will walk with us, sit near us, just be with us. That gift is something that I always hope we all get to know in our lives. In this moment, at least, you all do know it. You are all sitting by each other. And I also am grateful that this gift is not just limited to human contact. That the blessing, the incredibleness of this power is that it actually can express itself beyond the personal. And that one of the ways we know this kind of deep companionship throughout our lives is yes, with our animals, our pets. How many of you have a beloved dog or cat or lizard or rabbit? at home. Yeah, I thought about just asking you all for pictures and we could just do a slideshow, but I didn't get my act together, so you have to listen to me instead. Our Spirit Flicks movie for today is all about that bond. It is the movie Isle of Dogs, the Wes Anderson stop-motion animation picture 
that tells a story set 20 years in the future, interesting choice, 20 years, in a sort of fantasy version, Wes Anderson says, of Japan. There is a town in this movie called Megasaki City, and the mayor is a man named Mayor Kobayashi, a big, square-jawed, imposing-looking guy. Now, Mayor Kobayashi prefers cats. He has cats of his own, right? He doesn't really like dogs. And when a dog flu breaks out in Megasaki City, he sees his chance. He uses this opportunity of the sickness to stoke fear amongst the people in the town that this dog flu could transmit to humans. And so he decides that all the dogs in Megasaki City must be sent away to a little island off the coast called Trash Island. This place doesn't look so bright. He sets the example, he says, by having his own household's dog Spots, be the first dog that will be shipped overseas. Except, as you might remember, Mayor Kobayashi doesn't like dogs, right? So why is there a dog in his house? It turns out that Spots is not so much the mayor's dog, but in this next picture you'll see of all the different dogs that make up this movie. Let's see if I can do this. This right here is Spots. And Spots belongs to this boy, Atari. Atari is a 12-year-old distant nephew of Mayor Kobayashi. He came to live in the mayor's household when his parents were killed in a horrible train crash. And Spots was assigned to Atari as his bodyguard, as his companion, as the one creature who would be Atari's friend and look out for him after this terrible tragedy. When... Tari's dog, and eventually all the other dogs, King and Duke and Nutmeg and Rex and Boss, are all sent to Trash Island. A few months go by before Atari hatches his plan. He commandeers a little prop engine plane, and he flies it shakily over the ocean to crash land on Trash Island, where it's just him and thousands and thousands of now scared, malnourished, matted fur, feral dogs. I enjoyed this movie a lot more than I expected, in part because it has an incredible vocal cast. If you saw it, you know that one of the lead characters is voiced by Brian Cranston, Chief, the stray dog. Bill Murray is in this movie, Jeff Goldblum, Ed Norton, Tilda Swinton, Yoko Ono is in this movie. It is a Wes Anderson film, right? And the stop-motion animation of the movie is beautiful to look at. But I also enjoyed it because I thought it was a pretty brilliant allegory for xenophobia and ethnic cleansing. It frighteningly echoes some of the dangerous rhetoric that we sometimes hear today in our own country sometimes. Wes Anderson doesn't quite put this fine of a point on it in his movie, but the repeated refrain in this film of the pro-dog resistance group that gathers is, whatever happened to man's best friend? And it does beg the question as we watch this film, if we feel this way 
about our dogs, why do we allow this to happen to each other? Why do we allow this to happen to human beings? Some of you saw this image in the news this week, or maybe others like it. Now, this image became a little bit controversial. I did my Snopes.com research. This image is not very new. It's actually at least a year or so old. It is an image of a bus with child seats outfitted within it. It's used by detention centers in Texas to transport kids. When families cross the southwestern border of the United States together, when parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles bring children along with them, they had been typically housed together if they were caught in detention centers for families. And buses like this were made so that when the children who were in the detention centers either needed medical appointments or to go to court or sometimes for field trips to get them out of the center, they could all be transported safely. But the reason that this picture started circulating this week is because some news came out and was confirmed by our Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, that there's been a change in the policy of how we deal with families that cross our southwestern border. That starting last October, the policy was to treat any child that came across the border illegally as if they were unaccompanied, as if they had crossed alone, which meant legally that their status was such that they were an unaccompanied minor in our immigration system, even though their parents, their aunts, their uncles, their older siblings, their grandparents may have been right there with them. And that meant separating the adults from the children and detaining them separately, processing their immigration cases separately, sending them to courts separately. I saw a story this week that talked about one family where the mother was detained in California and her kids were detained in New York State. Now, the administration acknowledged earlier this month that this is explicitly being done as a deterrent. It's a hell of a deterrent. These kids are eight, five, three, infants sometimes. So essentially what our administration has told us is that we as a country are adopting an intentional strategy of cruelty because we believe it will be an effective deterrent. It may be an effective deterrent, but I seem to remember in writing somewhere something about our values as Americans that we won't engage in cruel and unusual punishment. Have we changed? I hope that we haven't. I hope that the resistance that I see to this that is alive will be effective. One thing I read this week that gave me some hope It was from the head of the American Academy of Pediatrics, Dr. Colleen Kraft, a pediatrician who's worked for 30 years 
She talked about how she has seen thousands and thousands of families and kids come into her office, has helped kids with developmental disabilities learn to thrive, has helped kids with devastating illnesses heal. But she went to go visit one of these detention centers in Texas where children were being held separately. And she said, I sat there with two of the staff, their hearts breaking, while we watched a three-year-old girl scream and cry, pounding her fists on the little play mat in front of her. And she said, I know how to fix a lot of things for kids, but I couldn't fix what was wrong. Because the only thing that was wrong was that she didn't have her mom. Colleen Kraft helped mobilize hundreds of pediatricians. Pediatricians, right, who don't have immigration law anywhere in their job description, but who saw a way that they could speak up. They submitted hundreds and hundreds of affidavits to a case by the ACLU, letting folks know what their medical opinion was of the toll that this practice will take on these human children. Colleen Kraft talks about all of the lawyers, not all of whom are immigration lawyers, but lawyers who are donating their time to represent the parents whose children have been taken from them. And she names the support that the ACLU has gotten by all of its members, run-a-day people, right, who send in money, who sign petitions, support to issue what the ACLU has put out, a nationwide injunction to stop this practice to stop future separations and reunite the families that are already detained. I also saw some hope closer to home, where I see sometimes less outspoken stories of resistance, but more something that actually gives me even more encouragement, a sense of doubt from the people tasked with carrying out this system. I follow the Facebook page of a group named Juntos in Philadelphia. Juntos, if you don't know, means together in Spanish. Their page is Vamos Juntos Philadelphia. Let's go together. And they posted an audio recording from May 10th, just a few weeks ago. It was an audio recording inside a mass trial of immigrants who had crossed the border illegally in Brownsville, Texas. And the video captures the moment just before the sentencing when by procedure, by process, the judge asks each person if they have any questions. They're required by law to ask this. It's often the only time that the folks accused are allowed to speak. And person by person, we hear the judge say, Ms. Hernandez Lopez, anything you wish to say before sentencing? Mr. Rodriguez, anything you wish to say before sentencing? Ms. Diaz-Castro, anything you'd like to say before sentencing? And the answers come in Spanish, one after another. Yes. Is my little girl going to go with me when I get deported? Yes. I also brought my child with me, and we were separated. The judge asks, how old is your child? He says, seis años. Six years old. There's a pause in the recording after that. The judge sounds pretty frustrated as he answers, explaining, well, so the theory is that I've been told, what I've heard is that that this is going to keep you from coming to this country. But my understanding is that now you'll be joined with your child again before you're deported, okay? See? 
And he gives that same answer, the judge, over and over again, each time sounding more troubled, more tense. We can't know, right, if he is troubled because of his questioners and the fact that they keep asking, or if he is troubled because he keeps hearing these words come out of his mouth. Maybe both. And again, another question in Spanish. Yes, same case as theirs. When they detained me, they told me they were going to take my daughter away. And the judge says, well, let's hope they don't. You and your daughter, you should be joined together. In this movie, in the movie Isle of Dogs, we see frequently little cuts away from the main story, just short glimpses back to the homes that these dogs were taken from. Short glimpses of the family-owned restaurant where Boss used to live. Short glimpses of the kid-filled home where Rex came from. Now, none of these families commandeered a prop plane like Atari, but they stared at their television sets, watching the news of what was happening on Trash Island. And they looked scared and sad. These characters in that movie never spoke I wonder if they felt helpless. I know that I find it helpful to remember in times like this time that sometimes even the people in power, sometimes even the people who seem like the ones that could change things, feel scared and sad and helpless, maybe even trapped. It makes me remember something that was true in this movie and is true in our lives, which is that we never know where the thing, the action that changes things will come from. We never know where the action, the thing that makes a difference in the end will start. It's easy to feel scared and helpless And it's so important that we remember we all have some kind of power. I always remind myself that the civil rights movement in America, it didn't start with Martin Luther King Jr.'s run for president, right? It started with a local boycott of a public bus system in a little Nowheresville southern small town city. Montgomery, Alabama. So I have a few short antidotes to hopelessness that I hope I can share among us today. The first, just as we always say at Wellsprings, be where you are. Look around. Remember where we are. We are in Chester County, Pennsylvania, which, yes, is the wealthiest county per capita in Pennsylvania, which, yes, is a predominantly white county. But let's remember to look around and notice that Hispanic and Latino folks are the second biggest demographic in Chester County. Let's remember to look around and know that, according to the census, there are more than 25,000 Spanish speakers in Chester County. 
Let's remember to look around and know that 10% of the people in Chester County were born outside of the U.S. Let's not even look that far, right, to our community partner, Chester County Futures, here at Wellsprings, and know that the majority of kids served by Chester County Futures are Hispanic and Latino. There are people nearby, our neighbors, who may be affected by this. It is not so far away. So let's remember to look around and ask ourselves, who do we know? How well do we know our neighbors? What can we do to build relationships? And if your answer is quite well, I know these neighbors very well, then I hope that we can talk about it together, that we can start asking the questions about how we can support. The second antidote when we feel hopeless is also about getting curious. Our hopelessness only survives if we assume we know that there's no hope, right? We assume we know everything about all the possibilities on the table and none of them will work. And it can be easy to feel that way. But who made you the knower of all things, right? How do we know? There may be things we don't realize about how close we are to places that could change things. Did you know that there are four Immigrations and Custom Enforcement Detention Centers in Pennsylvania? Did you know that there are two nearby? There's one in York, and there's one even closer near Reading. Did you know that another local UU church has already started working with the one near Reading? Did you know that Kevin and Virginia, who are sitting right there, have been there? Sorry to call you out, guys. I wonder if any of us knows someone or knows someone who knows someone who works there. We might. I wonder if we could find a way to support people who maybe are tasked with carrying out these policies, but like that judge, are getting frustrated, who might need to keep their jobs, but who don't want it to be like this either. I wonder who we know. And finally, when we feel hopeless, May we remember that there are so many real stories in our lives, real stories where cruelty did not get the last word. I close with one today that takes us back to a simpler kind of relationship, to our simpler companions. I know that's why many of you have them at home, the dogs. A story that reminds us of the compassion that our hearts can carry for any living being. It's a story about this pit bull right here, named Kathy. In 2014, the Philly Inquirer reprinted a Craigslist post with this picture attached. The Craigslist post was addressed to an unknown mystery recipient someone whose dog had been seized by animal control three years before. And the letter says, To whoever you are, on February 9th, 2011, you were evicted from an apartment at 20 Catherine Street, and your old red pit bull was seized by animal control and taken to a kill shelter. She was really skinny and had bad skin infections and had been bred a lot. She'd even had a cesarean, judging by the scar. 
They said at the kill shelter that she was 12 years old. And she also had a lopsided face. And it looked like there were a few cigarette burns on her head and her ears. I figure you were having a pretty bad time of it since you were being evicted. I hope things have gotten better for you in the intervening years. Although it's unlikely you'll ever see this note, I just wanted you to know that I have your dog, and she's doing great. The animal control named her Kathy for Catherine Street. She was held for cruelty investigation. She was really skinny, and then immediately put on the kill list, which is the sort of irony that happens at animal care and control every day. I like old dogs, and I loved Kathy's little lopsided face, So a rescue pulled her from me and sent her my way. She gained weight. She recovered from her skin issues. Her coat shines now. And you can't see the little round cigarette burn marks anymore. We spayed her. Her hormones were really out of whack from all the litter she had. She has been wonderful with my young daughter and our other two dogs. And it turns out she loves to swim. She loves fetch, too. If she was really 12 back in 2011, that would make her 15 now. But I doubt that as she will still go on long hikes with me and swim and retrieve balls from the bay until she can barely stand. Even though, yes, her face is turning white. She's a dog that changes people's minds, too. Even people who don't like pits will stop and pat her as she happily wags her tail. She loves to sleep in sunbeams and is so happy to go on walks or swim, she just wags her tail with every step. She is sleeping next to me as I type this, grunting with joy. In fact, she sleeps on my bed every night. Your dog is an awesome dog. We love her so much. The past three years we've had with her have brought us and her so much happiness. So if you do see this, We'd love to know how old she is and what your name for her was. And we'd also like to ask that you say a prayer for her as she's going to have mammary surgery soon to remove some small lumps. My vet caught it fast. So I'm hoping Kathy can spend many more happy years with us. She really is the best dog. P.S. You can't have her back. There's so much in this world that we can't control. One thing we can is how we treat each other. We all have the capacity when we meet someone who has endured horrible cruelty. We all have the capacity to be people who say, you belong with us. Because part of me believes the only place that any of us truly doesn't belong in this world is with the people who would hurt us. We always belong to the people who love us and care for us and want to see us thrive. And the more we grow our shared capacity together for love and compassion and healing, the more we'll be able to create more places to share together to belong together in that love. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together.
God of our hearts. Holy presence that beats inside of each of us. That balances out our thinking and our planning. That balances out our questions. With a heart that beats in rhythm. With everyone else's heart. With a heart that finds ways to remind us of our connection to each other. With a heart that even when it is in conflict with our head, knows that there is something true about this heartbeat. May we answer the call of our hearts. May we find ways to keep that balance intact. To hold our heart's wisdom at the same level as our head's to let them work together so that we might all find a place we belong in this life and whatever might lie beyond it. For these prayers I've spoken out loud and for the prayers each of these people carries on their hearts, we say amen.